Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Greater Alton Church. Good to have you with us this morning. My name is Tim, and um, it's good to be with you all uh, today. Man, the weather's changing. I understand it's going to get nice today. Sun's out. Olympics is almost over. Man, good to be together to look at the Word of God. Today we're uh, in our second week of a series of lessons called The One Another Way. And what we're doing is we're looking at different passages and different uh, places in the Bible that talk about the need for each other and what can we do with each other. The Bible's very clear. There's a lot of one another passages, a lot of passages that talk about how we have an impact on each other. Uh, one of the things that's dawned on me is that um, this idea that you and I, mostly the what person I am and the way I'm going to be is going to be shaped by two major relationships. One area is my relationship with God and the other is my relationship with all my friends and family as well as the family of God. It has a big impact on us. And last week we talked about we need each other. I hope that uh, you were encouraged by that lesson. I heard lots of comments about it. I know our small group discussed it that evening and it was a great discussion, incredible discussion about the fact that we need each other. I need somebody to walk in my life. I need someone to work with in my life. I need someone sometimes to weep with me and wait on me and help me through those hard times. I need someone to worship with. I need someone, uh, again, that will work with me and, and witness with me. I need you and you need me to witness and, and uh, share the message of Jesus to our friends. I need you to be on your game. I know you need me to be on mine. If you've brought a guest, I understand that clearly this morning too. And we talked about that. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that lesson, it is on our website, and I would encourage you to do so. Today I want to talk about learning from each other. From Learning from each other. You think about it, if not everything, just about 99.9% of the things we learn, we've learned from somebody else. Uh, when you were born, we learned, when I was born, we learned uh, as a baby how to feed ourselves, how to dress ourselves. We learned how to speak by listening to other people speak. We, we learned uh, when we finally, our first day at school, we go to, to a classroom and we have a teacher or in kindergarten or preschool and we learn uh, from them the basics uh, that our parents have taught us. They continue on. We learn from family members. We learn from older brothers and younger brothers and older sisters and younger sisters, aunts and uncles. I mean, there's teachers all around us constantly. And we learn. I learned a lot from my older brother what not to do. I learned a lot of things from watching him. You know, note to self, when you say that, dad gets mad. Don't say that. So we've learned, and I think about how uh, even my grandkids right now, they're learning things from me, and they're learning hopefully good, but but they're also learning from life itself, from every friend, every family member. They're watching us. They're watching Papa and Grandma. Yeah, they're also watching Uncle so-and-so and Aunt so-and-so, and and, uh, they pick up, they learn from everyone in the family. Uh, We have friends we learn from. We learn good lessons and bad lessons. The Bible tells us our friendships matter in that in that way. We have role models, whether they be role models on TV or in sports figures, and we look up to them and we try to imitate them. Years ago, Michael Jordan, you want to be like Mike. I remember hearing that all the time. And and then some sports figures saying, I'm not a role model, when they were, you know, because of their status. There's teachers, lots of teachers we've been shaped by over in life. 
from kindergarten all the way to professors in college, we have been shaped. That we there's there's pivotal moments in our lives when a teacher was there. When John F. Kennedy was assassinated, when I was in the first grade, our substitute teacher in that classroom, I'll never forget her. Just that day she happened to be, and we bowed our heads. Though it was against the law to pray in our schools by then, we were had our heads on our desk and we were praying for our country. We learned lots of things. They stick with us. Krista McAuliffe, who died in the Challenger disaster, what she say? She said, I, I touch the future. I teach. And so that we have lots of teachers in our life. We're all teachers when you stop and think about it. People are watching you. Not just kids, but other grown-ups, co-workers, neighbors, Christian friends, strangers. We're, they're all watching us and learning from us. I, I realized we never outgrow this. Do we? Do we ever outgrow learning from somebody else? I can't think. I, I think I'm always growing. If you don't believe that, just how many times do you catch yourself on YouTube? The second most popular website on the Internet. I thought this was interesting. That YouTube began in 2005. It began in 2005 by three guys that used to work for PayPal. And what they learned, uh, they had no idea what they learned, in other words. They, they, this thing went crazy. Today, one billion hours of content are watched on YouTube every day. If you were to look at Taylor Swift, just one of her songs, and how many hours have been have been uh, accumulated over the time of listening to one of her songs, one of them, it's the equivalent of like 35 to 50 years. That's a lot of time. People are on YouTube. I'm on YouTube all the time learning how to put a windshield in sometimes because I get stumped. Or how to solder something together. Or how to work on a transmission. Maybe you've got on YouTube on how to do something. I mean, there's some, if you want to, there's some guys on YouTube, fellas, uh, Jeff uh, Stewart and I were talking about this one guy can do anything with a bandsaw and a drill. He's amazing, and he can tell you more about it than I can. Um, but he got me hooked on this fellow. I'm an addict now, and I need recovery. I'm watching too much. Now, one of the primary re- reasons there's a church, one of the primary reasons that God has His family on this earth is so we can help each other and we can learn from each other. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's that's really what it's about. There's a lot we offer each other and a lot we can receive from one another. Now, the Old Testament talks about that. Here's one passage, one of my favorites in Proverbs 27:17, out of the International Children's Bible. Look what it says. Iron can sharpen iron in the same way people can help each other. And yeah, you know, you think about how iron sharpens iron. You think, by the way, the, the, the uh, visual idea is of a file putting an edge on some steel, something already sharp, spending, you know, friction, heat, uh, noise, all this contributing to a piece of metal that's yielding to that and, and creating an edge. And if you think about it, you know, to get an edge in life, the edge you have in life is largely because of somebody else sharpening you, getting with you, talking with you, training you. The profession you have, the profession I have, I'm I'm still getting trained, whether it's public speaking, auto glass, or working with steel. We we learn these things from other people. They pass them on to us. And also, our character is shaped much the same way. Our lives are shaped the same way. 
Now, the New Testament says this, let the teaching of Christ and his words keep on living in you. These make your lives rich and full of wisdom. Keep on teaching and helping each other. Paul's telling this little church in Colossae, it's important, you know, you need each other. You need to learn from each other. And he wants his church to be a place of learning. He wants it to be a place that promotes instruction. Not just somebody telling somebody something or teaching, but also being a sponge in learning. That's why I've called this this lesson learning from each other. So how do I do that? How do I promote? How do I promote an atmosphere of learning in the in this church in my relationships? How do I promote an atmosphere of learning in my marriage? Because ladies, I know you're wanting to teach your husband something, and I know husbands, you'd love for your wife to catch it, wouldn't you? Just to catch what you're trying to say. And I know that I know in our families, teenagers would love their moms and dads to finally figure it out. And I know some parents here would love their kids to go, do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? Oh, wouldn't that be great if we could have a learning atmosphere at home or in the workplace? How many times have you been in the workplace and somebody's giving you a suggestion and you know, how do you respond to it? Or you want to give a suggestion and how do you word it? How do you make the workplace better? How do you make your church better? How do we help each other? Mature and become like Christ. It isn't just my job. If you if you come here and you and the extent of your teaching is Sunday mornings, boy, you're in trouble. It's got to be deeper than that. It's got to be more than that. You know, that's like showing up for work and you're in your cubicle or in your office and you never come out of it, or you just go for an hour. You know, you you're there a long period of time. So we have to use time and opportunity, and that's why small groups are so important. That's why. Discipling relationships are so important. That's why good Christian friendships are so important. Because we learn from each other. We learn from older people and younger people. I learn from younger people. I learn about energy. I learn about passion from my young, from younger people around me. I also learn new ideas. I never. I, can you teach an old dog new tricks? Yes, you can. Unfortunately, too many old dogs resist. We fight that. Can we learn from older, crusty older people? I know I said crusty, and I know some of you are offended by that. But I'm an old, crusty person, so I can say that. Do, can we learn? Oh, absolutely. I've got a guy that's buried just a few blocks away named Vernon Matthews. And I've, I'll tell you something, folks. This is something you need to realize. You can take something with you when you die. You know what you take with you? All of your experience. All of your wisdom. You may leave all the other stuff behind. And I'll tell you what. Those of us that are younger, you need to cherish those times you have with older folks because they know something you don't know. They've been through some stuff. And they can help you so much. So so there's this back and forth, this give and take that we have that we're to learn from each other. So how do I promote that? What can I do? Well, I'll promote learning in my relationships. Number one, when I initiate spiritual dialogue. It starts there. Here's an interesting passage Counsel in the heart of man is like water in a deep well, but a man of understanding draws it out. And I know that Proverbs sometimes can have multiple meanings here. But he's saying a guy's thoughts, a man's thoughts, a man's intent, a man's motives, a man's counsel. The things that's inside him are deep, like a deep well. Now, I grew up on a farm. I don't know how many of you grew up on a farm. But we had several wells in our farm in Golden Gate. 
I think about four or five different wells uh, that we had dug around the place. And my brother and I, without permission, one time took the lid off of one of the wells, got a ladder, an extension ladder, and we went down into the well. Which is a big no-no. People have died doing this. But, you know, we're dumb. So we're kids. And the parents, my parents weren't very good parents. They weren't doing their job. That was a joke. And so <laughs> so we go down. And well, here's why. Because we're looking through the, the at the top, and it's real deep. And we can tell there's, it was during a drought, and there was hardly any water down there. But we saw stuff. There was, somebody threw some stuff in the well. What is that? Well, let's get a ladder and find out. That's a great idea. You know, you're 10, I'm 7. Let's do it, Tim. Okay. So we get down there with a flashlight, and we're looking around, and it is awesome down there. It's cool. It's July, you know, hot up. It's cool. And there's ranches, parts of buckets, all kinds of treasures. We're digging through the mud. Look at this. What is this? I don't know. And we go, let's go check the other wells out. I'm surprised I'm alive, okay? But that's what happened, you know, in a deep well. And I remember uh, when we'd feed the pigs and we'd have to water them, we didn't have no fancy pump. You had to take a bucket. And my granddaddy used to show me, take the bucket, Timmy. You see it right there? It's just touching the water. Now pick it up a little bit. Now flick it. And you can pull the water right up. And he showed me how to flick the bucket. And then he'd get fancy. He'd spin it twice. And I'd go, man, Grandpa, you know what you're doing. And we'd pull up the water, and I just noticed it was deep, and he knew how to do that. I couldn't do it. Now this passage here, you get this idea, it says a man of understanding draws it out. Now, if I've got something deep, and you've got something deep in your life, yes, it can mean someone else with some understanding can draw that out of you and go, wow, I didn't know that was in me. Okay? But you know, you can do it too. You can learn to do it too. Just like my grandfather showed me how to draw water out of the deep well, I learned how to draw deep the water out of the well as well. And I can draw a man of understanding, and you, a man or a woman of understanding, can draw out these deep treasures that's inside you and, and create a place of learning. You have things in your life, experiences in your life that are very good, that need to be shared. Some bad that need to be shared. So other people know, wow, you too? I don't feel so alone now. And that's what I noticed. That's the, the principle there. A wise man's able to draw it out. Listen to me. A wise man is able, a wise woman, is able to bring it up. Spiritual dialogue is something you and I need to bring up. Look what the Bible says here. Jesus said it this way. A good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart. He says, a, a wise man and a, a, a good man and a bad man, doesn't matter, good, doesn't matter. They're able to draw it out and bring it up. He goes, well, what's he talking about there? It's out of his heart. Well, look, he says, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. It comes out in our dialogue. When I draw deep, when I draw down in my heart, I bring out what I'm going to talk about. What do I talk about the most? That's easy. What you think about the most. What do I talk about the most? That's real easy. What I'm excited about the most. What do I talk about the most? Whatever I draw out of my heart. And see, so many times, guys, many of us here, we're just content with superficial discussion and superficial dialogue. 
We'll talk about the weather. We'll pull it out. Well, it's going to be cold today or it's going to be sunny today. Yeah, it is. And we've, we've had the, this delusion, this, 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 uh, relational placebo of I've had a discussion with somebody, but it's not deep. It's as deep as the weather. We talk about politics and all of us have a view of whether teachers ought to have guns or not. I know that. But we'll talk about that for hours. And we'll talk about sports. We'll talk about the Olympics. We'll talk about entertainment. We'll talk about movies. We'll talk about what we got, we, uh, we see on our phones. I watch some of us here. We grab our phone. Look at this crazy guy and what he's doing. We love doing that. Oh, we're laughing. We're enjoying. It seems so deep, but it's as superficial as the, as, as, as thick as the phone we're showing it on. That's how deep it is. It's just, it's not deep. We talk about our family, don't we? Yeah, we talk about our family, but not too much. Only so deep. We don't want to get too deep, because if we get too deep, we might expose something. We're afraid to get deep. We're stuck in the superficial. Many of us here, in our conversations with other Christians, in our small groups, we keep it superficial. Why are you doing that? I'll tell you, why, one of the reasons you're not getting past the superficial. God says, Give, put a little more rope in your bucket. Go down deep and pull something out. Bring it up. Bring it up. Last week, our small group got together and we were talking about this lesson. We need each other. It was a great discussion. I love it when a small group, I love it when I lose control of a small group. I love it. I feel like one of those referees, you know, that has a, the hockey puck and the two guys are ready to go and the discussion's about to happen and you drop it and it just bounces everywhere and I'm kind of going, why am I here? I love that. And we had one of those last week. And I go, is there anything else anybody wants to say about anything? That can be dangerous. And a couple spoke up. I need help with something. And this started just, I thought we were done with group. It was just beginning. It's because they drew deeper than the superficial. We could talk about all that other stuff till the cows come home, but they actually said, well, let's test it. You say, we need each other, Tim. Okay, let's find out how, how I need you guys to help me with something that's going on in my life. I got, I got to say this. I have to say this this morning. I'm afraid that many of us here, when it comes to spiritual dialogue, it's in the area of complaining. What's wrong with the church? Why is the sermon about this? Why are we having a special kind of view? Why that person leaves? Why did he not wave it and look at me in the eye? He didn't even see me. Walk right. She didn't even say hello. Is that the extent? Is that what it's going to be? Is that the extent of our spiritual dialogue we're going to bring up? We're going to. I remember one time we had a dead squirrel in the well. Katush. Yeah. Is that what I'm going to bring up? Does that create any learning? When all I, but I do talk spiritual, and I complain. About God, about His power, about His Word, about other Christians. If that's the extent of your spiritual discussion, you need to go deeper than that. 
We've got to bring it up. It can't be just leaders bringing it up. Each of us need to be bringing it up. Sometimes it might be through a question. Sometimes it might be through, I read something in the Bible. Whatever way. I want to challenge this church. I want to challenge us here. We want to make this a place of learning and growing. We all need to be trying to find a way to turn the discussion, turn the dialogue in some way, in some fashion, to the spiritual. Hebrews 10 says this, We should think about each other to see how we can encourage each other to show love and do good works. Oh, I have no problem thinking about the Christians. I think about how lousy they are, or how they offended me, or how they... No, 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 he doesn't say that. He says, think, think about them and how you can encourage them toward love, toward doing something good. He's saying, think in that relationship with your husband, with your wife, with your children. How, what, how can I frame, how can I turn this discussion without it sounding like nagging or berating or just correcting? How can I listen to it without listening for correction, berating? Amen? Because it's a learning thing. It's not just a teaching thing. He says, think about it. How you can do that. So let me ask you a question. How do I initiate spiritual dialogue? And, and, and do I initiate spiritual dialogue or am I stuck in the superficial? What am I encouraging others to think about and do? Is it all just about flaws? Then they're going to think about that and their actions are going to follow. Or is it about faith? Is it about faith? Number two, one of the ways that I can create a learning environment here at Greater Alton is I keep learning. I just keep learning too. That encourages me. I remember when I was a kid going to school back in the 60s in grade school, we're sitting at those desks and I look around and everybody had their head buried in a book. You know what that told me and encouraged me to do? Bury my head in my book and read. You know, if it was time to read something out loud or, or multiplication tables, I would had my math book out. Everybody else had theirs out. We had that impact on one another. It wasn't just the teacher saying do it. Everybody else was doing it too. And so I was encouraged to learn. But I'll never forget Richard Fryman. He was the same age. Oh, Richard. He'd sit in the back and we'd be all real quiet reading. All of a sudden you hear... <laughs> giggling around. Third grade. You're saying, Tim, how can you do that? Well, that's what happened. Okay? And, ever, and then, or he'd, or he'd take his desk and go, move it around while we're trying to read. And I'm going, What's going on? And all of a sudden somebody else, and the teacher would go, hey, hey, calm it down. In high school, we had a teacher named Mrs. DeMarco. And she'd wear, this is in the 70s now, she was an older lady and wore these maxi boots. Tried to look cool. She did not look cool. Bless her heart. She was picked on constantly. I'd sit around watching. Somebody would say, why, every April Fool's Day. She'd go, oh, this is DeMarco. You look wonderful today. Well, thank you. April Fool's. And the whole class would be, I don't know how many times she'd send people to the office. You know, I got to thinking about this. If I want to promote learning, I don't want to be sent to the office. I don't want to be one of those kids. I'll be Richard Fryman or Mike Byford or Steve Prater. I know all the troublemakers in my classes. 
you probably know some too. And maybe they're looking at you right now. I don't know. But I, can I tell you, guys, we we got to be a church here where everybody's learning. And I was, re, and do I remind people, hey, keep learning, keep learning? Or do I have I gotten old enough in the faith that I've quit learning? Basically, I don't read as much, I don't pray as much. I kind of just taking it easy. You know, I'm I'm into sermon critique now. I've heard this before. You could have said that better. All I know is that when I keep learning, I encourage others to learn too. Paul said this to the church at Corinth. Now, brothers and sisters, I've applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit and catch it so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. Now, of course, they were having divisions in the context of that. There's lots of divisions. And he was trying to say, look, I've applied something to the Scriptures that the Bible has to say to my life. You are. Yeah, I'm applying it now. We, Paulus and I have applied it. We're still learning. We're still growing. The Apostle Paul one time said to somebody in Philippians, said to the Philippian church, not that I've attained it yet. He says, I want to know Christ, but I, I don't, I haven't attained it yet. He's still learning, still learning. He was an apostle for crying out loud. Have I quit learning? You know, when a, when a guy says, somebody says, I'm still reading and I'm still learning, and they're older than me, or they've been a Christian longer than me. I'm, I'm encouraged to go. I, I want to make. I would love to have that passion. I think of Bob Hawkins when I think about that. Guy's in his seventies. I don't know about you, but I'm in my sixties and I'm already thinking about retiring. He's oh no 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 no. Here's a book, Tim. I want you to read. I just read this. I found it fascinating. You read this book, and I read it, and I go. He goes. Now I had to get a dictionary out a couple times. Humble. Somebody's still learning. Alan's still learning, folks. And I appreciate that about him. Still learning. Still, still, Gary, still learning. Mike, still learn. That's the truth. You still learn. Debbie Weiler, still a learner. You know, you gonna name me too? Come on. You know what I'm saying? Do I have to name everybody? I'm just saying, you know whether or not you're still learning, right? Are you open to new things to learn? Or are you open to old things? How's that? Old things? Still learning? Colossians 3.17 says this, Let the message about... This is again, we've seen it in another translation. Let the message about Christ completely fill your lives. We're talking about fill me this year. He said, let the message completely fill your lives while you use all your wisdom to teach and instruct each other. See, I keep, I promote learning when I'm modeling this student's heart. When I'm still being a baby Christian, still have that passion to learn and memorize and learn more. Why? I want to know Christ. There's, I've got places in my life that aren't full. How about you? He says, man, you want it completely full, Tim. The message, yeah, completely full. And so it's a, if this is a decision to fill the empty spots of my faith with the message of Christ. To open the door of those private places and bring the message of Christ into my life. What are you talking about? What do you, what do you mean private places? My financial life. My sexual life. My emotions, my marriage, 
there's a few. That my worries, my thoughts, the, the, the deep well that get the message deeper. I keep learning. Let me ask you a question. Does, does God, does the Bible have access to everything in your life? Does the Bible have access? Does God have access to bring His message into your private affairs? I keep on learning. And that incur- well, I'll tell you what, when I see some of you here are such great students, you're always reading, you're always praying, you're always asking questions. I go, that just encourages me all the more to want to be a learner. I want to be like you. Because it creates a learning environment here. Number three, I can create a better learning environment. I promote instruction when I respect the views of others. When I respect the views of others. It doesn't take very long to be a Christian when you have somebody you disagree with. It doesn't take very long to be a part of a church and you disagree with somebody. You can be at work and day one, you're disagreeing with somebody on how they handle stuff. You can be married. My mom and dad, my mom told me a story that my mom and dad, they got married. They're on their way to the honeymoon when the gearing, uh, there used to be a standard shift on the column, got messed up under the car. So he gets under the car and he starts trying to get the linkage right. And he goes, okay, throw it in the park. She goes, okay. And she can't go harder. And all of a sudden, wham! And his fingers went into the... And he starts cussing like a sailor. And my mom said, I begin to wonder, did I do the right thing? Marrying this guy made me second guess my decision there. No, I just, I'm just saying is that, you know, we, we, we have, it doesn't take long to have a disagreement. It doesn't take long to not see eye to eye. It doesn't take long, long, very long. Just do a Google search on what is right. If there's anything the media is doing to us now, it's making us so ambivalent or or very difficult to determine what is right and wrong because everything sounds so good. Am I right? How do you know? That was a joke too. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> okay. Look at this Romans 12 here. Excel at showing respect for each other. The Bible says you need to respect each other. And that also means each other's opinions, each other's views. See, the ma- a, major, uh, uh, a major part of a healthy learning environment is attitude. Attitude. God calls us to have a different attitude. See, my attitude affects how I learn from you and how you learn from me. My attitude affects how I learn and how I teach. It happens in the classroom that way. It happens in meetings. I'm amazed. I'll be in, have you, how many times have you been in a meeting and some disgruntled person is sharing something, they're, they're negative, and it shuts everybody else down in the meeting? They're complaining about something. In the classroom, in a small group, in a conversation. Just a conversation with somebody else. And somebody says something that's insulting. And then all of a sudden, you begin to burr up. They begin to burr up. And what happened to that learning atmosphere? It's gone. Now it's defending. Now it's conflict. Proverbs 12 says, Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook the insult. How are they able to overlook the insult? Well, they're able to respect that person's view by overlooking the 
you know, the turt way or the crask way or the, or the twisted way they're trying to say something. I know I, you hear stuff, I hear stuff, you go, what? You're nuts. Sometimes you get, you gotta, you know, for us to, for us to be able to teach somebody to keep the door open, you can't slam it shut with name calling and, and insults and, I was watching Lincoln, uh, a couple of days ago. And Tommy Lee Jones plays a, a, a senator or representative, and he calls people inbred and and doofus. I mean, and everybody's like, they don't know what to do, how to handle him. He's a very abrasive person. And I'm reminded of what I heard one time: is as long as you're abrasive, you'll never be persuasive. It's true. How I respond to things matters. It's attitude. Let me give you four ways I can respect the view of others here. Number one, I resist jumping to conclusions. Bible says this, answering before listening is both stupid and rude. You ever watch Family Feud? They're given the question. First one hit the buzzer, you know, here's your question. Name something that's bee! Uh, let me finish the sentence for somebody that's a little smarter than you. Name something that's red. <laughs> you know, if they had just waited a split second. But they jump to conclusions, they interrupt, and if I want to promote learning in my relationships, and I'm telling you, I know this from experience, if I want to promote learning, i got to keep my mouth shut. I need to listen. I'm always trying to finish people's sentences. And even with my wife, I'll, I'll say, I'll try to finish it. She goes, no. Every time. How, how, anybody else do better than that? Every time. I go, you mean about, no, no. I feel so, I'm embarrassed by it. But I try to finish people's thoughts. I try to figure out where they're heading with this. I'm jumping and I'm rushing to conclusions. And if I just choose and wait and listen a little bit, most of the time, I'd know what to say and I'd know, I'd know how to respond. And most, by the way, most of the time when I, when, this is what I'm learning. I'm learning. This is a big class for me. I'm learning this one. If I can extend that courtesy to the, the person I'm talking to, whether it be my wife or my children or a coworker or a friend, they tend to extend the same courtesy to me. Hmm. <laughs> I thought that was something. So I, I resist jumping to conclusions. Number two, I recognize that people learn at different paces. Do you catch everything quickly? I don't. Sometimes it takes a little longer for me to learn something. Some people seem to catch on so quick, and I think, you know, we'll have a discussion, and some will say, I see exactly what you're saying. I'm going, I have no clue. People learn at different paces. Proverbs says this again. An intelligent person learns more from one rebuke than a fool learns from being beaten a hundred times. Here's the full gamut. You know, some people get it. I got it. You got me at the first sentence. I got it. And the fool is going, you got to have to tell me again. I just don't get it. What's that? Just, oh man, how many, you ever been to the school of hard knocks? Anybody else besides me? Oh man, the school of consequences. And I'll say, I'll never do that again. And somebody in heaven's going, oh yes, you will. Because <laughs> you didn't catch it. This time. Sometimes it takes us longer to learn things than others. And if I'm that way, everybody around me is the same way too. So when I'm teaching them, I need to remember that. See, well, they don't catch everything. I don't catch everything, so they don't catch everything. Why don't they see everything? Why don't they see that? 
oh, I don't see everything. And when I'm learning something, this is important too. When I'm on the learning end of this, man, I'm not catching it. It's so easy to get discouraged. Right? I don't see it. I want to encourage you, don't give up. It may take you a little longer to catch it. So what? You're going to catch it. You just hang in there and you'll catch it. Look what Paul says here. I hope all of you who are mature Christians will see eye to eye with me on these things. And if you disagree at some point, I believe that God will make it plain to you. He said, you know, I would love for us to be eye to eye on this, but it's, I could tell maybe you're not going to see it like this right now. But, you know, I'm, I'm thinking God's going to help you. In other words, you're learning. You, you don't get it right now. That's okay. You'll get it later. You'll get it later. If anybody knew this, Paul did. Didn't he experience that? Did he experience the lashes of a fool? He had Stephen talking to him. Some people believe Jesus. He heard Jesus preach some sermons. There's, there's the warning. One little warning, one little rebuke. But then he had to get knocked off his horse and blind three days. And then it came to him. Uh, I need to change. He didn't catch it all in one shot. Or the first go around. And neither will you, neither will I. So we need to recognize that people, including myself, learn at different paces. It doesn't give us an excuse saying, well, I just don't get it. No, I'm not talking about, we're not rewarding laziness here this morning. I'm just simply saying we learn at different paces. And I need to give people, including myself, a little room and a little time to reflect and respond to what we're teaching and learning. Um, there's an article that... Um, Alan sent me, and we've been reading from uh, Francis Chan. And this one of the sentences that caught me, or one of the concepts was, why is it in churches we are so quick to get up and leave a church over the stupidest things? When we're, we're not going to find a church that we're not going to agree completely on. We've got to stay together and work things out. People learn at different paces. Here's a, a third thing I can do to respect the review of others. I regulate my rhetoric. Some of these here to me are things I've discovered and that are in front of me at this time. And this one's a big one. I regulate my rhetoric. People know your buttons. They'll push them. You know what you do? To eliminate that? Unhook the buttons. Flip the wires on the buttons. So when they're pushing them, it's no longer a deal. It ain't going to work anymore. This, this, that, that, we're not going there. I have to regulate my rhetoric. What I say, I do need to adjust it, it, whether it's in marriage or in relationships, at work, wherever. Look at this in Proverbs 16. The hearts of wise people guide their mouths. Their words make people want to learn more. Now, I do not believe, I don't believe uh, that you and I are responsible responsible for how people respond. Jesus was the greatest master teacher. Almost everybody rejected what he had to say. Am I right? Okay, so I'm not responsible for a person's response, but I can. I am responsible for how I speak to somebody, and it can influence their response. That's all I'm trying to bring out here. Because there's times when saying nothing is a great response. Doesn't mean they're right. This means you're not ready to respond to it, and you control yourself. You control your rhetoric. Sometimes Denise and I'll be in an argument, and we, and you know, she 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 does this 
95% of the time. Every once in a while, that 5%, she'll come right back at me and treat me like I treat her. And I'll tell you what, it's ugly. And I see how ugly I'm being. I'm going, man, that's what I said. She says it right back to me. I'm going, oh man, what am I doing? What am I doing? I need to shut up. And I have to, and I wrestle. I wrestle. I need to learn, see? I can't learn when I'm making excuses. That's some of the rhetoric that needs to go. I, I, I'm not going to learn anything when I throw some sarcasm or push somebody's button that's trying to help me. Oh, look, you're getting mad. See, that disqualifies what you, what you just said. Are you sure about that? You caused them to, you know what I'm saying? How do we, how do we work things out? Well, I learn to regulate my rhetoric. I take responsibility for what I say and how I hear things. The fourth thing I can do to respect the views of others, the different views of others, if you will, I rely on God to do the influencing. Sometimes God's the only one that can get through. Look at this. and Paul's talking to a young communicator named Timothy. He says, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, a good teacher and patient. The Lord's servant must gently teach those who disagree. Then maybe God will let them change their minds so they can accept the truth. And Paul's telling Timothy, kind of like what he said to the church of Philippi there, God will make it clear later. You do your thing, but you let God, you trust God and rely on God. How many times has this happened to you? I think about the parable of the two servants where he says to, or the two sons, and the, and the father says, go work in my vineyard, and one son said, uh, no. The other one said, yes. And the one that said yes didn't go. And the one that said no, what did he do? Changed his mind. And Jesus says, which son obeyed his father? The one that changed his mind. How many times has this happened to you? Had this happen years ago. I'm, we're on a golf course. I'm on a golf course with a friend of mine. And we're on the first, first tee. And we swing, you know, and we get on the green and putt. And I'm telling him how hard it is to be in ministry and have my own business. It's just hard, Brad. I'm telling you, it's hard. He goes, what do you mean? Well, I, I mean, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, and it's hard to juggle all this, and I can't, I just can't do it all, and I feel like people are expecting too much out of me. And he goes, Tim, I, I want to tell you, you ought to bag that excuse. I go, what did you say to me? This is on the first, t- on the second tee, we're getting ready to tee off. You need to, you need to bag that. That's a bunch of crap. I, all I remember doing for the next 17 holes, Wham! Not even waiting for him. Putting out. Wham! 17 holes. I didn't even keep score. Open up the trunk of my car, throw my bags in, slam it, spin gravel out of the driveway. How many times has this happened to you? Oh, man. You know, he's right. He said to me, you think you're the only person that has two jobs? Think the only person that has more than one responsibility? You're feeling sorry for yourself. I'm trying to go to bed, trying to lay there in bed, can't sleep, tossing and turning. I know what I need to do. It's midnight. Oh, Brad, yeah, you're right. He goes, oh man, I thought you'd never go speak to me again. I mean, after the third hole, I didn't even see it anymore. You were like, 
You know, I thought, man, and I saw where you even did some driving on the green. You know, you just <laughs> took chunks. I thought, you're going to kill me. And I, and, and I thought to myself, yeah, I was wrong. You're right. How many times has that ever happened to you? Holy Spirit changes your mind afterwards. He works on you. Honey, I'm sorry for saying what I said. You're right. That was wrong. Yeah, you, I am right and you are wrong. I'm overlooking that insult. Because it's still true. Holy Spirit's already pounded on me. He put me on the anvil, sort of pounding on me. You're right about that. I wish I'd learn it better. I wish I was better at learning, but man, I'm glad I got it. You know what the thing is, I've had it on the other end of that, where I've said something to someone and they've been mad at me for years. And then come back and go, you were right about me. And I go, oh, good, you're not mad at me anymore. And I realize that that's, I'm selling myself short there because what I should be really excited about is not whether they're mad at me or not, but they learned it. A lot of teachers, some of you teachers I know, are hated by some of your students. But they come back later, don't they? And go, thank you for teaching me. I've got a teacher named Mr. Spear. You've all got that kind of teacher. Tough as nails but you're glad that he or she taught you that hard lesson. And if they were alive, you'd tell them so. So you rely on God to do the influencing. Let God do that. And number four, I want to create a, a, an atmosphere of learning. It happens when my example is more like my message. I, had, I don't know how many times. I, I changed this title around. The reason is, is because I had when my... Life backs up my words. You know, when I'm a good example. And I've, we've heard this, I don't know how many times, we'll hear that kind of concept. Then i got to think, and let's deal with reality here. It's when my example is more like my message. In other words, when it's closest to it. Because my example isn't always close to what I'm saying. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? Like, oh man, you know, I hope they hear me. I hope I'm not going to be one of those people they say, do, do what he says, but don't do what he does. See, my life, it speaks louder than my lips. Albert Schweitzer said this, example is not the main thing in, in, in influencing others. It's the only thing. Actions speak louder than words. And nothing kills, you know this is true, nothing kills teaching or learning like hypocrisy. It, at work, how many times a coworker says something, but they're not doing it? Or a manager says something, and they're not doing it. Why should I? Or maybe, maybe in politics, you look at a politician. Why should I listen to them? Why should I vote for them? Look how immoral they are. In churches, in churches, why should I listen to that leader? He was rude to my friend. He hurt my friend, or he did. You know, and, and, and we, and we, and by the way, we're not talking about inconsistency. Inconsistency is every once in a while. Hypocrisy is just constant. And it happens in the home. I've been doing a lot of thinking about why is there tension between teenagers and parents? Why is there so much tension between teenagers and parents? Well, some of it is, I'm, I'm a teenager and that's, I'm gonna, I'm gonna disagree if you said the world's upside, I'll say it's the opposite. Because that's teenagers do that. I, it's the truth. How do I know that? Because I've done it. I've done it. Done, done it as an adult too. I'm honoring. 
But I'll tell you something else that does it, and that's when our kids see a life I'm projecting at work or at, or at church, but it's different at home. A life I'm projecting at the potlucks, but totally different at the restaurant. You follow me? Now i got a question I want to ask our teenagers. I asked the teenager in the first service. I'm going to ask it in this one. Are your parents perfect? <laughs> that was Miranda. <laughs> Are you crazy? No. <laughs> They're not perfect. Are they close to perfect? Oh, and I know some of us parents would say, "Well, you know, you're not perfect either." You already know that. You already know. You don't have to tell them that. Now, what I want to ask is this. i got to have a straight-up, honest answer here. So help me out. Do they have to be perfect? Is that too much pressure to expect that? There's no way they're going to be perfect. You can forget that. My mom and dad, let me tell you, some of you guys got mom and dad. So much better than my mom and dad. My mom and dad used to say this. We just lived. That was their parenting. We just lived. What's that mean? Yeah, take a shotgun, go out and kill something to eat. We just lived. I mean, that's crazy. That really happened, by the way. <laughs> that's crazy. I'm saying, but let me ask you this: Would would a good example work? Would you like them to have a good example? Is that okay? That's why I'm asking. The reason I'm asking that is because. A lot of times when we talk about example, we're thinking about it's got to be perfect or near perfect. You know, like we're like we're like under the pressure of these skaters in the Olympics, and the judges are going to come out and we're going to throw out the high score and the low score. We've got to have a near perfect here, or you're not going to get gold medal. And I I believe this. I believe that that most people, our friends, our coworkers, they're not looking for a perfect example. They're just looking for a good one. A good one. So I just ask, do I have a good one? Inconsistent, I can still be good. Hypocrisy, I won't be a good example. Here's a passage in Titus 2 we're going to look at here in a second here. In Titus 2, Paul directs Titus how to promote a learning environment in his church. He talks about how the older men are to do this, and then the older women are to do this, and they're to teach the younger women. And then he talks about younger men and talks about slaves. Let's read it together. Let's read it here. Look at this. As for you, Titus, promote the kind of living that reflects wholesome teaching. Right off the bat, he's talking about an example. He goes, I want you to promote this wholesome teaching in your church. Promote this kind of life that comes from it. Teach the older men to exercise self-control, to be worthy of respect. That sounds like an example. And to live wisely, that sounds like an example. They should have sound faith and be filled with love and patience. Now, what I want you to notice there, I don't, I'm looking, okay, teach the older men to exercise self-control, be worthy of respect. I guess you could maybe make some case that there's some speaking involved in what he's asking them to do, but I get more of an idea that's living and not so much talking. Just curious. Like it says, similarly, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. Live in a way that honors God. Now, is that talking about speech there? Well, you could make the case, but it's talking about everything we do. Because they must not slander others. Oh, there's some talking. 
or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. There's some talking. These older women must train the younger women. Titus was not told to train the younger women for obvious reasons. Or the temptation of immorality. We have no business teaching younger women. Us older fellows. You let the older women do that. I, I'm telling you from experience. I learned, I learned a lesson. Just a shot over the bow of my life taught me that. I had a brother point this out to me as a youth minister. These older women, look here, must train the younger women to love their husbands and their children. Read, come on. To live wisely and to be pure, to work in their homes, to be good and to be submissive to their husbands. Then they will not bring shame to the Word. He says this example will not bring shame to the Word of God, to the message. Their life, their rhetoric, their reputation and rhetoric are more closely matched here. Slaves must always obey their masters and do their best to please them. They must not talk back to the nursing talking or steal, but must show themselves to be entirely trustworthy and good. Then they'll make the teachings about God our Savior attractive in every way. There's re- reputation and rhetoric slow come together. And see, when my example is more like my message, it doesn't malign the Word of God. It doesn't distort the Word of God. It doesn't confuse people. I think a lot of people, a lot of our unbelieving friends are confused because they see behavior in Christianity and it's not good behavior. I just don't want to be one of those people that gives that message. How about you? We don't want to be a church that gives that message. We don't want to malign the Word of God. We don't want to, we want to make the message attractive. Now what I did, you notice, what, Tim, you left a verse out. Yeah, look at this verse I left out. This is in the middle of this. He tells, Paul says to Titus, and you yourselves must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. What's he saying there? He says, make your example more like your message, Titus. Why? Because a good reputation brings credibility to God's words, not just mine, but to God's words. People are not going to take God's message seriously if I'm not taking it seriously. By by having this good example, not only do they hear what I have to say, but I'm actually able to show them in a practical way how to apply this message. My children see that. My grandchildren see that. My friends see that. My co-workers see that. And you, my Christian brothers and sisters, see that in my life. And you, you, and you see it in each other's. Am I right? We promote this learning, this learning environment when we make our example more like my message. Now, I can't, I, my example cannot be perfect. I, and, and, and though the Bible tells us be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect in the context of forgiveness, just go ahead and be forgiving like God. I know I'm encouraged to do that. But I know I'm not going to have a perfect, flawless example. But I can have an example, and you can too, an example of progression and growing and changing toward the character of God. How about we do that? So how's your example this morning? How's your example? Now I've got assignments for you. Let's look at the, I've got some assignments for you to do this week, and maybe you might want to try for the rest of your lives, okay? The first one is, this first one's a weekly one. And that's listen to this lesson again, and talk about it in your small group. 
Talk about it in a conversation. Really talk about it. Number two, I'd like you to look at your example. Look at it again and see where it needs to change. And if you're having trouble, I don't know how to, what I need to change. Why not ask somebody that knows you really well? And I'll give you a few pointers, I'm sure. And the last thing is, initiate two spiritual conversations. I'd like to change that to five. I think we can do better than two. Initiate five spiritual conversations. What do you mean by that, Tim? Well, sometimes it might be just in the form of a question. What does the Bible say about this? In other words, you're getting together as Christian brothers and sisters. Yes, enjoy the closing ceremony for the Olympics. Yes, enjoy baseball as it's coming. It's almost here. Yes, enjoy uh, talking about the weather. It's going to be nice enough tomorrow to go outside. Yes, you can talk about your kids and you can talk about politics and stuff. But don't leave without talking about spiritual stuff. And, and let it grow into that being the main reason you're getting together. There's plenty of time for that other dialogue. And maybe it's a question as a learner going, I don't know if the Bible help me with this. And maybe it's simply, there's something that's been on my mind I want to talk about. I want to talk about with you. And begin a spiritual culture, a spiritual community that God can bless. You've got a card in your bulletin and it's simply a, a response card. Maybe there's something you'd like to change. You look at those four those four things we've talked about today and maybe you're thinking, you know, I need to work on this. I want to ask some people to pray for that. We all have relationships, guys, and we, I know we have relationships that aren't good. we got some relationships that, you know, man, I'd like to improve my marriage. I'd like to improve my relationship with my child or my parent or a coworker or a Christian friend. But I, I'm going to have to incorporate that step for that to take place. I want you to know God will bless you. You have the courage to, to apply His Word this morning. Let's build a culture. Let's build a culture of learning here at Greater Alton. I'm going to give you a minute to do, fill out those cards after I pray. We'll sing a song and fill out those cards. And then we'll sing another song and collect all those cards up along with our weekly contribution. Well, if you know us or not, but already there's $2,000, a little over $2,000 in our special contribution as I speak. So that's kudos to you that are giving right now. Let's pray and uh, we'll be through. Father, thank You for this morning's lesson, Lord. I just think about friendships I have and some of the dummy things I've done in them. And Father, I think about some of the spiritual conversations I could have had. Help me to have more of them, Father. Father, I pray for a learning spirit, a learning heart, being a, be a spiritual sponge. And Father, help me respect the views of others because people have respected mine. And let me work things out. Let me Help me give people time to work some things out as well. And Father, help my example to be closer to Your message. It's really hard sometimes, Father, being a Christian. Hard to, to honor You. But help us live in a way that honors You. To live wisely and pure. Help us not bring shame, but bring something attractive to Your, to your message. Thank you for bringing Travis back safely, Lord. It's good to see him. And Father, um, to have Scott uh, put you on in baptism, Father, that is just exciting. And we praise you for that. Um, bring us more students. Bring us more, more workers. Help us build, Father, a culture of learning here that results 
in living out our mission and catching your character. We pray in Christ's name, amen.